This is the Strode College Digital T-Level Podcast. So Unit 6, Diversity and Inclusion. So looking at how the digital world, who can access it, how they can access it, and whether they can access it at all. Um, okay, in terms of diversity and inclusion, when we first started this course, you remember back in September, we had Ellen who started, who was interested in doing digital data. She lasted about a week. Uh, there are very few girls in technology, which is something that needs to be addressed, obviously. Uh, that, that's not just in technology, we more broadly, it's like a problem or an issue. Alright, so, uh, 6.1 then, the principles of digital inclusion. What does inclusion mean? Uh, if you're not sure about these things, it's really fair opportunity for everyone. Yeah, being included. Right, the base word. So inclusion in terms of digital. Remember, the government did a survey two or three years ago now, and they determined that 11 point something million people do not have the basic core digital skills to access all the things that are going online. And increasingly, stuff is going online, isn't it? It probably won't affect you because you're all digital natives, but most of the people need to access government services do not have the basic skills in, in internet technology to get on to find the stuff they need. And again, I'll use this example about where I work at the library on Saturday. A lot of people come in, they don't have a computer at home, they don't have a mobile phone. How do they access government services which are all digital? It's very difficult. So they're, they're totally excluded. So they're not included at all. So digital then, systems should enable everyone. And again, simplistic things like having certain colour-coded websites for people that have colour blindness. Colour blindness is quite a common problem. People can't differentiate between certain colours. Of course, if you make your website with those colours, they cannot see the writing. Uh, and those symptoms. So the hard computers are supposed to help everyone. But again, if you're not particularly competent on computers, then there's no access whatsoever. But computers increasingly uh, are being, being tailored towards people's needs. And again, you need to keep watching the news, as I keep reminding you. On the news yesterday, or on the Twitter certainly, there was a little article that Windows 11 has built in, is building in functionality for people with Parkinson's disease. Does everyone know about Parkinson's disease? Or it's in really bad shakes. Now, you can't use the mouse effectively if you've got really bad shakes because of Parkinson's disease. So, Windows 11 developers have developed some type of a functionality built into the mouse where it oversensitizes or undersensitizes it. So, if you are shaking, the mouse doesn't shake, it just stays still. It picks up the shake and it compensates for it. So again, those are the types of things that will help people who have got, through no fault of their own, a disadvantage and they cannot use digital technology because of that. So again, programmers can make these things work if they need to for that particular environment. Um, checking for bias within data sets. Most, most computer programs are written by middle-aged white guys. right? And it's well known, a lot of research has shown that they build in their own biases into their into the way they write programs. You think, well, a program is just a set of instructions and code, but a set of instructions and code can be coded through bias. Um, and you can see this in terms of the way that stuff works. So most computer systems and most online forms, most of these surveys, they end up getting the results that people want that they've coded into the results that they want. So again, digital technology tends to be very biased towards people, minorities, people of colour, those types of things, because the people that have programmed it, not necessarily consciously, have built in their own prejudices and biases into the system itself. So again, look at data sets. If you ask a question of somebody and you're expecting an answer which fits in with your mind and your mindset and your worldview, then 
hey, presto, you will get those results exactly as you expected. So again, computer programs, although they seem neutral, are not. They're coded with people's biases and, and reflections. So how do we make sure that those systems aren't, and again, this is more for the data guys, how do you look through a data set and check for those types of biases or underpinnings which have made it ineffective in terms of digital data? And again, there is bias in everything. It's, some people can't help it. Naturally, you have a bias towards certain things, don't you? Um, and again, going back to the previous point, most people in certain jobs, particularly in tech, people sort of almost expect women not to be involved in tech, so therefore they're biased towards the fact if, if a woman does do some tech, automatically most men will think, well, they can't do the job properly. It's just built into sort of fabric, isn't it? So how do you compensate against those types of biases? Is there a way to make the data, and again, it's when you're creating these data sets, can you think through and say, what am I actually asking that question? Am I trying to find out this detail, or am I trying to get them to, to agree with my, my worldview? So it's very difficult. So again, you've got to be comp You've got to be conscious of bias all the time and trying to compensate for it if you can. But some of these things are just subconscious. You just automatically assume that stuff goes with the territory. So the next part in terms of digital inclusion is access. So again, you know, 11 million people don't have access to the technology at the very basic level in order to do what they're supposed to do. How can that be compensated against? Now, to some extent, if you remember, during the lockdown, um, the government said that it was going to give every child in the country a laptop so they wouldn't be disadvantaged, right? And for some, to some extent, they did get along those lines, but it's still, I think they only managed to get sort of 50 or 60% of, of cover. So still loads and loads of people had no access. Again, if you're in lockdown, you've got no internet connectivity and no laptop, how do you engage in education? You can't. So the technology in some ways, you know, the access to it needs to be a bit better, really. If, and again, that example of Parkinson's disease, obviously that's helping people with that particular disease, but, and most website or uh, most systems, most computer systems have built-in things to make the keyboard bigger, if you've got sort of partial sight, they have text-to-speech if you can't see at all, all sorts of things, and if you're deaf, obviously they'll show more things, more material information. So the technology is good in order to get access, but it still needs to be improved, because there's still, again, 11 million people cannot use the functions that are there for them. Uh, connectivity, we talked about this before, I think, ages ago. There is a government law that you have to have 10 megabyte connectivity, otherwise you're not getting your digital commitment or digital sort of entitlement. So, again, and if you go around, we talked about this before, didn't we? We live in this little bubble in Stroke College where you can't get decent internet connectivity on your phone all the time. Um, certain parts of the campus, you suddenly, your phone will suddenly engage and pop up. So the connectivity is quite poor. Now, if you imagine, again, in terms of connectivity, if you're out in the countryside, you don't have internet connectivity and you don't have phone, how do you get access to the digital data you need to make your life function? So connectivity is being addressed. Again, they're digging up all the roads around here to put in super fast broadband. Bit by bit, that will happen. But the average speed of internet connectivity, and it's not 100% complete in the UK, this is for historical reasons, is very low. Um, most... Most countries, in, particularly in the Far East, I think the, the standard broadband package in the Far East is 100 megabits for everybody. That's the base. It goes up then to 900 or 1,000, etc. So connectivity here is still really, really behind everyone else in, in the developed world for historical reasons one else. But it's also a problem with in terms of, um, again, funding. It hasn't been properly funded, so the connectivity isn't there. You know, the, the actual government hasn't committed to getting everyone broadband for whatever reason. But that's something that really needs to be addressed. You cannot access these services on a slow internet connection. If you've got 
a one meg connection, some of these government websites, they're not too bad, but if they've got loads of JavaScript and all sorts of really fancy graphics going on, they take a load of processing and your website, if you've got a really slow internet connection, it just won't work, or it'll crash or whatever. And then in terms of overall inclusion legislation, we've got this Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. So that's a set of standards and, and instructions and guidelines saying if you create websites for people that have partial sight or this sort of um, difficulty in seeing different colours, you have to conform to these guidelines in order to make it accessible for everyone. So again, if, and it wouldn't necessarily apply to you, but if you did do some web development on from scratch, you'd have to look at those guidelines and say, is my website fit for everyone? Is it inclusive that everyone can use it if they need be? Is there a button that somebody can click which will pop up a keyboard or etc. etc.? Right, so that's in terms of general guidelines, that's helping people being able to access the content of the website. It's never going to be perfect, but it's at least some way along the line to fixing those problems. Now, the other thing which underpins all of this, again, going back to this government survey which tried to find out what people can and can't do on the internet, is that it's down to technical skills and knowledge. All of you are, are digital natives. You can access technology very easily. You take it for granted that, that you can do that. And when you meet people, like my, my experience, you sort of you get frustrated because you're explaining to people, no, you click on that button. What, what button? You know, the classic thing for the symptoms, they said you've got to press any key. And he's looking for any key on the, on the keyboard, you know. Um, it is technical knowledge. And again, you're used to it, but a lot of people aren't. And when I talk to people, again, down the library, and just say, well, you need to do this and this very quickly, I go through it, assuming they just understand how computers work. And they just say, I've never, ever used a computer. I don't know what you're talking about. So again, there's a huge range of digital skills uh, that need to be addressed. And technical knowledge and skills is a big barrier to inclusion. If you cannot understand how to make a computer work, if you cannot understand how a phone works, and if you're expected to do all this stuff, again, because everything's being moved online, how do you access the services the government are giving you if they're all on websites? You say, what's a website? So again, skills and knowledge are quite important. Now, because of these problems, because of the <laughs> principles of inclusion and technical problems, obviously the, the best way you, the best way you can train people how to do it, so again, the government have come up with this qualification which Strode offers, which is um, essential digital skills. Essential digital skills, it's level three, which is below GCSE level, and it's basically how do you switch on a computer, how do you look up a website, how do you press this button and that button to make, make things work, how do you fill in forms. And then there's level one, which is GCSE grades one to four, more or less, which is going a little bit beyond that. How, how do you make sure you're not being hacked? How do you make sure you can actually make sure you filters are up to date, those types of things, using digital technology. So there's, there's push, if you like, and pull things. So you try to get people to get engaged in digital technology through having sessions like I do down the library, free sessions to try and teach them how to use these skills. But there's also laws to try and protect people. That's pushing the organisation, saying, if you're going to offer websites for your customers, it must meet these guidelines, or et cetera, you know, how to make sure it's working properly. So the main thing here in terms of law is there is an Equality Act which says that people cannot be discriminated. We've looked at this in some detail, haven't we? The different types of discrimination. I think you did a presentation on this one as a group, if I remember. So again, direct discrimination on the website. You can't have on the website. This is available to anyone except these people. Right? You can't say that. You have to include everyone regardless. Uh, nobody should be excluded from some sort of thing. The government can't say... Uh, the government can't say this is for anyone except traveller and, and sort of um, those types of communities. Again, it does happen, but it, they are protected. 
everyone is protected and shouldn't be discriminated against in any way, shape or form. Uh, there's indirect discrimination, and again, this, this, this does come up. People might be, the, the classic thing I think is, again, use an example of if a company is predominantly run by men, they may not take in, they might not employ women because they just think, oh, they're not skilled enough as they, as they should be. And, and classically, we talked about this before, there is a glass ceiling. Women with the same skill set in the same job will earn probably 80% of what their male counterparts do for various reasons. So, so there's a huge amount of discrimination in terms of that. Indirect discrimination, people might not get a job because they'll, they'll just say, oh, sorry, you, you're not, you don't have the qualifications for this job, blah, 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 when in fact, people don't want to hire them because they're too old. Right? At some point, at the moment, um, and this happens quite a lot in, in education. So in education, you work your way up through the ranks bit by bit, just because you're there a long time, you get more and more promotion and pay. But at some point, the, co the school or college thinks, well, ha actually, that person's quite expensive. We don't really need to pay that money for that person. Let's get somebody that's really young, really cheap, and we'll get rid of them, and you get farmed off. So again, that sort of indirect discrimination. So, oh, you know, have you thought about retirement? You know, you've been here a long time. What they really say is you're very expensive, we don't need you anymore. So again, indirect discrimination, uh, those types of things. Yeah, and then we've got these protected characteristics. You should not be discriminated against for getting a job for your age. They shouldn't say to you, sorry, oh, you're too young and inexperienced. If you've got the qualifications, you've got the qualification no matter what. And they shouldn't, on the other extreme, shouldn't say, sorry, you're a bit too old for this. Right? You can't discriminate against people because of their age. You can't say, oh, really, we need somebody a little bit younger than you. You can't say that. If they've got the qualifications and they meet the job criteria and everything else, then they should get the job, all things being equal. Uh, people with disabilities shouldn't be excluded from jobs, albeit they are. People say, well, you know, we can't really do this. The classic thing, I think, is like in terms of like firefighting. You could argue, well, somebody can't be a firefighter if they're in a wheelchair. And yes, that's true to a certain extent, but again, that's an extreme case, but most people, even if they've got some type of disability, shouldn't be excluded from jobs. Um, <laughs> well, uh, so disabilities, blindness, death, all that type of thing, physical disabilities. Yes, need, need I remind you, Fraser? Um, gender assignment, there's a lot of stuff going on at the moment in terms of... Um, People are being, again, if you need to be following the news for this type of stuff, at the moment there's a lot of legislation going through government whereby the government historically has had, um, what are they called? They have these sort of camps. Lots of people, particularly in the right wing of politics, lots of people think that people that are gay, for example, can, it's just something that can be trained out of them. Right? Uh, some, type of, some type of education is going to turn people away from, from being gay or whatever. Right? And the government, historically, because the government's slightly right-wing, have always believed that that is the case, even though it's a load of nonsense. Now, at the moment, they are still believing that they can, make, they can change people's attitude and, and, and sexuality by these educational methods, even though it's a genetic or whatever. Right? So, again, gender reassignment at the moment. People that are, are trans are being excluded from this legislation. So they're basically saying, yes, people that are of a particular persuasion don't need to be sort of forced into this. And some of these things are really horrific, what they do to them, these camps where they try and reassign people to, to different stuff. Americans in the States believe that they, it's, it's a religious thing, that they can change people's mentality by doing this really horrific teaching. Uh, but at the moment, trans people are excluded from that. So, again, there's a big fight in the courts about this stuff. 
uh, but you shouldn't be ex dis discriminated against. A classic thing, I suppose, of going around campus, we've obviously got um, non-binary toilets. You can go in, whether you're male or female, into these toilets or trans, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but it is a problem. It is, it is a contentious issue. A lot of people, for whatever reason, have a problem with this sort of stuff. Um, and again, law is the only way to deal with it. People's opinions and attitudes hopefully change over time. Bear in mind that in the 1960s, um, homosexuality was a crime. Uh, you had to go to prison. And that's only recently sort of stopped. And in some countries, it still is. Uh, yeah, the protected characteristic. So again, some of these are a little bit grey. So the government... The government protects gender reassignment in law, and yet the government at the moment are not prepared to back it up with government action. So again, it's a bit grey in that particular uh, Marriage and civil partnership. You shouldn't be said, oh, that, sorry, this job's only available to, to people that are married. Or, sorry, you're married, so you can't have this job. You, know, you shouldn't be discriminated against based on your actual, what relationship you've got with a partner. Um, in terms of other jobs, you couldn't say to somebody, you can't have this job because you're currently pregnant, right? So it shouldn't make any difference. Again, at all jobs, it should be about, can you do the job? Do you have the qualifications? Are you suitable for the job? Yeah? Um, and maternity leave. You can't say to somebody, oh, you're off on maternity leave, so don't, don't bother coming back afterwards, right? You shouldn't be discriminated against a job. And again, these things vary. So in the United States, for example, you know, maternity, you get about a month off, right? In the UK, it's, you get nine months paid leave, or if not a year. And even, I think, in the UK, because it was European law, we get paternity leave. So, again, if in 10 years' time your partner has a baby, you can take time off from work to try and help with child rearing in the first days, and you get full pay for it, and that's in law. Uh, other protected characteristics, race, you can't discriminate against people because of their race. Um, you can't say to somebody you can't do that job because you're from this particular race or background. Um, you can't explain those things. Religion or belief, again, you can't say, sorry, that, that job's only available to Catholics, I'm afraid. Now, again, there's exceptions to these things, aren't there? Or in, in arguments, saying in schools, if, a, if it's a Catholic school, they might say we would prefer that you have the Catholic faith, but they cannot say, even though you're not a Catholic, you can't work in this place. They say we would prefer it, obviously, because it's a Catholic faith school, etc. But you cannot discriminate against people because of their beliefs. In the same way that if, if I were to apply to a Catholic school, being an atheist, they can't say, well, we don't really want you as a teacher here. Well, you've got all the qualifications, but you don't believe in you know, the true faith. Again, I can't be discriminated against. I say, well, I can still teach computing, you know, whatever my beliefs. I can't be discriminated against. Uh, in terms of sex, again, you can't say, sorry, this job's only available for men or women. Um, that shouldn't be the case. This is something that's being addressed. Again, in all of the digital subjects, you know, there are no girls that are doing it. Uh, that is something that needs to be addressed, I guess, at the top, somehow. It needs to be more advertising. Uh, and sexual orientation, again, so these are protected characteristics. What, what you believe, what you feel, what you do in your own time, as long as you can get the job done, as long as you've got qualifications, and nobody should say, sorry, that's not open to you for whatever reason it might be. So these characteristics need to be protected. And again, at some time in your life, you know, you'd hope that these laws and things would protect you. And you don't know how these things work. One of my friends, his, his older brother, um, he, he was married, he had three children, and I think in his 40s he realised actually he was gay, and he came out. Um, and it caused all sorts of problems with the family. But eventually they accepted it, and things moved on. 
but it's again it's historically very difficult some of these things to deal with but I think society is improving we talked before about norms and values norms and values are shifting hopefully your generation is a little bit more accepting of what people can and can't do with themselves most of you um, <laughs> And you need to just accept, you know, and at some point, if this stuff affects you, you should be appreciative of it. So if, if you go for a job in some years' time and you know that they, they discriminated against you because they thought you were too young, even though you had all those experience, you should then appreciate that people that have other characteristics need to be protected as well. Right? So some things will come and affect you. Um, and people that make the, the strangest of judgments about people based on certain things. Um, again, I get all sorts of heist, heightest things. Public sector bodies, websites and mobile applications, uh, accessibility regulations. There are laws protecting how people access stuff. So this is, this is how the law is changing slightly because of technology. As we get more and more coverage in terms of mobile technology, therefore the government assumes, and rightly so, that people can access this stuff more effectively. Um, and as part of this, website and mobile applications, again, they need to be effective to allow people to connect and access services, which are really important to them. Um, and again, some of these are shifting slightly. The, the EHRC, the Equality and Human Rights, is, is currently under attack. This is something, it's a national law that all government, all, all societies adhere to. Uh, but our current government, sadly, is not too keen on it because it, it protects a lot of people they don't particularly like. Uh, so the EHRC is currently statutory, it's part of law, but it is being undermined slightly by the government of the day. Um, but again, in terms of equality, everyone should be entitled to those types of equality. And, and again, if, in more broad sense, if you go on holiday, maybe to Spain or something, you know, you'd hope that these people would protect your rights in the same way that you've got over here, but it's not necessarily the case, right? When you travel, and again, recently, one of our biggest trading partners is Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia recently uh, beheaded 81 people because they were suspected of being gay or whatever, right? They've got totally different laws, sir. So these things aren't universal as they should be in terms of diversity. So what are the benefits if the company follows these rules, if it uses all this technology and tries to make this stuff happen? What are the benefits? And this is the type of things that's going to come up in the exam. So what are the benefits to the organisation of this type of thing? If they create more inclusive product, I mean, if you design, bear in mind there are, for argument's sake, there might be a million people in the UK that have some sort of disability, say a hearing disability. If you're a company that's developing products, if you don't include those groups, you've just lost a million customers. Right? So there is some benefit to it for the company in terms of innovation. And you're reaching people that nobody else is probably reaching. So again, it's probably worth your time and money in doing those types of things. Problem note taken? Problem with your note taken? Yeah. Uh, greater appeal to potential employees. If you have inclusivity policies, you're going to attract more people. And people, people just because people have a disability doesn't mean they don't have the skill set that you need for your job, right? So you're, you're excluding people that may be really good for your company. Um, so in, increasing potential employees. Uh, it means you've got a wide range of products. Uh, again, reaching a much wider market. There are millions of people that have certain disabilities. If you're not creating those products, you're missing a huge amount of sales. Uh, ability to connect off, authentically to black, Asian, minority communities, so the BAME groups. 
They're a massive part of the population. If you are not trying to engage with them, you're losing load a load of products and business. And then reduce the risk of reputational damage. If you are non-inclusive, because of the, the social media age, people will complain about it and you will be suffering as a result of it. So there are, there are loads of examples, if you read the news, of companies that have been taken to court or whatever because they've, been, they've actually violated some of these rules and regulations and they've lost a massive amount of custom. And once you've got reputational damage, it's very difficult to come back from that. People are reasonably sensitive these days to those issues. Most people, again, it's quite difficult down here, I suppose, down in rural Somerset, but most people have somebody they know that is part of some ethnic group or minority group that is being discriminated against. So again, if, if within your circle you know people like that, then you're more sensitive to their needs. And if you find out that they're, they're working with a company that's not helping them, then you may not help that company either. You might sort of say, well, actually, I don't agree with your principles because you're affecting my friend or my family or whatever, therefore I'm going to divest and not buy your products anymore. So there's a wider issue about supporting it in terms of diversity and inclusion. Uh, approaches to addressing the demographic imbalance. Um, so again, cultural awareness. Hopefully there's enough education going on in your tutorial groups. You will have had various PowerPoint presentations from Gemma, I presume, going into these types of issues about how you, and again, it is down to your generation to make these things change, I suppose. Uh, you should be a bit more in, in tune with that type of stuff. Again, if you are, like you're traveling off to Spain and stuff, if you do travel more widely, you know, you've got to be aware of those cultural uh, aspects and be more sensitive to people in, in different countries and different cultures or people that hear from different cultures. Um, and again, as I've said before as an example, my wife's Japanese, she's had a hell of a time. People, first of all, people, people give her Chinese abuse, right? Just, if they're an Asian person, they must be Chinese. So she gets loads of abuse about being Chinese, and she's not. And she gets general abuse about being you know, a, a foreigner, therefore she can't do stuff, even though Japan is far more advanced country than we are. And she's very educated, but because she doesn't speak English as well as native people, she's treated as an idiot. Right, so it's, that type of stuff is really bad. Um, application digital inclusion principles. So again, you put these law, laws into practice. Somewhere in the exam, I would imagine, or somewhere in the employer set project, it will say what kind of things have you included in your project in order to, to have some sort of inclusivity. So you need to be aware of those. How do they come into your sort of write-ups in terms of your write-up? If you're, if you're fixing this network or making this data, have you considered that it, everyone is accessible to? If you're making a network or setting up a network of systems, are you making it so that anyone can access those machines properly at any particular time? So that's designing stuff into it. And then get government initiatives. The government gives incentives for people to include things more. So again, the government would have given money to the college in order to build ramps and things so that we can actually... I think starting in September, we've got somebody starting and this is why, again, as a sort of wider general moan, the, the lifts are for disabled people. In September, we've got a student that's starting in a wheelchair on the digital course, and they need that lift working all the time because all the courses are on the third floor. So you shouldn't be using that lift. You should be using the stairs unless you're disabled. All right, so give up government initiatives. They, the government have paid for those expensive lifts to be incorporated for that very reason. And finally, inclusive recruitment. Again, not necessarily, a lot of companies use sort of positive discrimination. They say, well, we've got five candidates and one of them is disabled, so we better hire them just in case. They, they, they do do that because of the pressure of things, but they should just hire whoever's the best candidate. But, but they shouldn't exclude somebody just because they're disabled. If they've got the qualifications and they are the best candidate, then they should get the job, end of. 
so inclusive recruitment. Uh, so, almost, so 6.4, how digital inclusion affects individuals and organisations, so what is the effect on an organisation, so individually, as an employee, you'll have some sort of induction when you start your company and they'll say this is the in inclusive policies that we run and this is the sort of things you need to do. And again, most of you are doing digital support, you'll be doing support work so you cannot discriminate against people. So if somebody phones up and they've got a thick accent or whatever, if you meet somebody on the front desk and they're from a different culture, you cannot discriminate against them and be nasty to them. Right, you've got to include everyone because they're your customers at the end of the day. So inclusive services, you treat everyone the same, hopefully, and they treat you the same. That should be the way I think, shouldn't it? Increased career opportunities. So again, you know, there should be, based on your experience and, and ability, people shouldn't be held back and say, sorry, you, you can't do promotion this year because you, you know, you're from a BAME background. You can't do stuff like that. So again, opportunities are better because organisations include these policies to help people. Uh, enhanced access, connectivity, digital. So the laws themselves should mean that the systems are much better for everybody. Everyone should benefit from these things. Um, and again, as, as the connectivity increases, if we get 5G and all these other things, people should benefit from that, uh, but they still need to train it in order to be able to use it. So connectivity is great, but technology needs to be improved a little bit in terms of user understanding. And again, your generation is going to improve, aren't you, because it, a lot of you know how to use this stuff. Uh, greater social mobility. If we have these inclusive policies, it means anyone can go for a job. If I'm disabled in a wheelchair, it means that I can go to any job and I shouldn't be discriminated against. And this came home to me last night. Uh, my brother works, my brother does, he does loads of odd jobs, my older brother. Back in September, he clipped his leg on his shin on a piece of metal, right? And it got infected a little bit. Bit by bit, he's been going to the doctor, they've been dressing the wound over and over again. Just recently, in the last month or so, he's been going to the doctor and they've been scraping black stuff off his leg, right? They've not, oh, well, you're still okay, we're just giving these antibiotics, everything's fine. Last, or yesterday, my mum phoned me, they took him to hospital, they've got to amputate, right? So he's lost his leg. So this stuff happens, he's now disabled, he's got to have to have a prosthetic limb. So again, at any point in your life, you don't know when these things change, these events, so you'd hope he can still get jobs now, even though he's only got one leg. It'd be very difficult. If they don't discriminate against him, he hopefully could do, still do the same jobs. So, social mobility, you shouldn't be held back from a job just because you've got artificial limbs or whatever. Right? Everything should be open to everyone. Uh, greater scope of communication and collaboration. Digital tools should allow us to talk to people. So if I'm if I am in a in a sort of ethnic minority group, I should be able to communicate with other groups. There's lots of organisations which try to help people in discussions and say, if you've got problems with work, please contact us and we'll try and help you. And the government, the government and organisations do fund that type of thing. It tends to be charities more than anything else, but you know, that is open to, to things. If you are in, a, in a, an excluded group or a minority group, you should be able to talk to other people and try to get some help and guidance. And the government do fund that stuff. At the that's the individual level. At the organisational level, company level, um, greater, greater demographic diversity, if your organisation has lots of different people from lots of different areas, it does give you a better worldview about things. Right? And again, the, I know some of you have got friends in the, in, the heart, in the software group. At the moment, because we're having a real trouble trying to find developers, um, in my previous job, my lead developer, he's Bulgarian. And he lives in Canada. So he's currently teaching them um, software development daily. But 
Again, you know, you do, you will work with people from all over the world. Now, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, he's got a very thick Bulgarian accent, and he, on, in, in Bulgarian, they, they change, like German, I suppose, the B's and W's are reversed. So they're having a hard time following him in terms of language, but the stuff that he's teaching is really useful. But you will, as you walk through life, you'll meet lots of different people. The UK is a very diverse culture, really. We've got people from all over the world. If you start going to the big cities, uh, you will meet more and more people. Um, my daughter, who's at university at the moment, all of the, she's, next year she's got to share a house with different people. And the people she's sharing a house with, they're from India, China, Japan, all sorts of countries. Right? Very diverse culture. And you've got to get used to working with other people. Um, employment demographics, it does help open up. If those policies are in place, it means you can go and work anywhere you want to in the country. You won't be discriminated against, hopefully. Uh, enhanced connectivity, remote communities. Again, getting outside of the street bubble. Can we get connectivity if you go up into the countryside? You know, I mentioned before about Cumbria. Cumbria is a very sort of, sort of um, hilly country. It's very difficult to get decent signal there, so they put up loads of satellite dishes in order to get connectivity. If people can't get connectivity, how is that done? You know, in terms of law, the law, how can the government improve those things? Uh, creating, expanding commercial markets, organisation. If it does have these inclusive policies and collaboration, it's going to get broader markets. If, if they've got an inclusive policy to work with different people from different ethnic backgrounds, it may be that they get a relationship with people from a different country from that original background. Hmm? Again, just using the example of my daughter again, one of her friends at the moment is from Peru. Right? And she's asked her, she said, come and visit me in Peru you know, over the summer. Again, it gives you those opportunities. The more people you meet, the more you can travel, the more jobs you get. So it's, being inclusive is quite useful. Uh, greater profitability, as I said before, if you're making all these different products for diverse groups, you're making more money. At the end of the day, that's all people care about. Uh, more innovation. If, again, you know, if you're a company that makes, makes apps for certain things, then if you're making them for these sort of disabilities, it's much more challenging. If you can make stuff for people with disabilities, it, you've got to really think outside the box. If you're not disabled, how do you make equipment and design things for people that are disabled? You've really got to think quite carefully about how to do that. So it makes you more innovative, I think. Uh, more skilled workforce. Again, if you've got a broad range of skills that you're trying to address across all these different sectors, you're going to make much better products at the end of the day. And more inclusion results in greater employee retention. If you look after your people, regardless of their disabilities or their backgrounds, then you've got a good company, and a good company is one that you want to work at, and you're going to get a good pay, etc. So it's, it's beneficial for the organisation. So those are the good things, I suppose. Then the bad things, in terms of an organisation, in terms of an individual, if you are discriminated against, obviously your quality of life is quite poor. If somebody's really rude to you all the time, like my wife gets, it makes you pretty miserable. Um, your quality of life is very bad. If people are constantly pulling you up for being gay or whatever, your life is, is utterly miserable. It's not fair on anyone to have that life. Why should they actually put up with that? It gives a lot of socialisation. People won't come out of their room. If every time they go out, people shout stuff at them for whatever reason, then you know that's awful. So stay indoors. Leads to socialisation, makes you miserable. Uh, restriction of services. If people don't offer those services to you because you know, you're disabled, it means you can't do those things. You have to work around that, which makes your life really difficult. Uh, and then financial loss. If you can't do those things, if you can't access those resources everyone else can, then it's going to cost you far more money to do that stuff, so that means you're losing money. And you shouldn't have to. You're being discriminated against for no other reason than you've, you're disabled. 
And then that's the individual level, send the organisation level in terms of da downside. Um, if you're discriminating against people because you just don't like the colour of their skin or whatever, you're losing out on really talented people, right? Or disabled people. Oh, I don't need that people because they're disabled. They may be brilliant at a certain aspect of programming. You've just lost that person to your company. So you're actually losing skills. You're not innovating. If you're not trying to cater for everyone, then you're catering for a very narrow set. You're not innovating, making decent products, really. Um, you're breaking the law, so at some point you're going to be pulled up in front of the courts and it's really hefty fines. Um, you're restricting service, so therefore customers, and again, customers are starting to say, well, I'm not disabled, but I watched this person who couldn't get onto the bus because it wasn't one of those drop-down buses. Um, therefore, I'm not going to use that service because they're not looking after it. And that, that person's a friend of mine, so I'm not going to use the service anymore. Is that from Hoppy? Just notice. Yeah. Um, financial loss, if you don't have those customers, you've lost loads and loads of money, nobody likes that. Reputational damage, if people on social media say, I'm not using that company because they discriminate against this, that or the other group, your company will lose loads and loads of business, and maybe even broad, because of the reach of social media, if you're discriminated against, against certain people from certain countries, if you've got an international customer base, people from those countries will start, start losing service from them. And a classic example is, <clears throat> classic example at the moment is that the current government has been very pro-Brexit, which means they've been very anti-Europeans to some extent. Now, the President of the United States, his background, he's from an Irish background, and he's very pro-Irish. And the Irish is being really done in by Brexit, and he doesn't want to deal with England anymore because they're really discriminating against Ireland. So again, these things have an impact. Reputational damage, the government cannot get a trade deal with America because they've actually undermined Ireland. And the President of the United States is very pro-Irish. Right? So these things have a lot of effect. And finally, ooh, not quite 45 minutes, breach of regulations. So again, if you break the law, there are certain sanctions against the law. Discrimination against people in terms of those, those protected characteristics carry very heavy fines for companies, either percentage of their overall costing or other things. But again, reputational damage, all these other things will kick in and you will lose lots and lots of um, resources as a result. And that be it. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Hopefully you learned something. If you didn't, listen to it again. You might actually learn.